0: Good morning again, as we continue our journey this fall in early winter into the book of Psalms, please turn to the 22nd Psalm, Psalm 22. I'll be reading Psalm 22 verses 1 through 21. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And yet, you were he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lions. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. they pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Holy and instructive is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your varied ways of communicating to us from storytelling, narratives, to law, to epistle, to poetry, songs, which are made for the purpose of causing us to feel. So, by the grace of your Spirit's presence, let your chosen feel what's here. To the glory of your work in your name in our lives. Amen. There are very few lines in the history of the human race about which one could say, this is one of the most famous, well-known sayings ever. But the opening line of Psalm 22 is one of them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's not just because King David penned those words a 1,000 years B.C. It's because Jesus recited those words from the cross. Have you ever felt that God has deserted you? Left you hanging? Have you ever... Experience the dark night of the soul into the depths of depression or, or anxiety and fear like a four-year-old lost and alone at Disneyland. David has. And he voices his experience in verses 1 and 2. So, this morning, let's take to heart... What's here, as we are going to examine verses one to 21, and then next week, the second half, verses 22 to the end. So this first half of Psalm 22, it is about the terror of God's forsakenness up to the end of verse 21 which in the psalm is the dividing point with the words literally you have answered me which then leads into verses 22 to 31 God's deliverance this morning only the forsakenness so briefly the way that this half then is structured, it's like this. Verses 1 to 2 is God's silence. Verses 6 to 8 then is mockery, being despised by people in the midst of that silence. And then verses 12 to 18 is the brutal suffering at the hands of of the enemy. But now. All three of those sections. Each one. Is followed. By. David's affirmation. Of, of faith. Trust in the midst of it. And, and please. For deliverance. So. Let's go to it. The first section. Verses. One and two. Being forsaken, what does it look like? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but You do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. God's silence can be deafening. I plead, he says. I groan for help. But you, nothing. Silence. You don't answer me. For a lover of God, that can be very disconcerting. See, remember last week, we saw in Psalm 20, David wrote that one. He says God answers us. He answers us in the day of trouble, verse 1. And then in verse 9, the king Oh, may He answer us when we call. And David says in Psalm 28, he opens it up this way, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me. Because if if you are, if you're silent to me, then I become like those who go down to the pit. And so, David, often we, like him, you're sailing along. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He answers me in the day of trouble. And then, everything hits the fan. And you feel. Day after day, silence, as if God's deaf to your situation. Anxiety and fear overtake you. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find. no rest in the late 1950s c s lewis after his wife joy finally succumbed to a brutal battle with cancer i can't remember how many weeks if not a couple months it was before he was able to even pick up a pen and write to journal a diary. He began it this way. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what others say, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. Yet I want the others to be around me. I dread the moments when the house is empty if only they would talk to one another and not to me meanwhile where is god this is one of the most disquieting symptoms when you're happy so happy that you have no sense of needing him so happy that you are tempted to feel his claim upon you as an as an interruption If you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. I tried to put some of these thoughts to my friend this afternoon. He reminded me that the same thing seems to have happened To Christ. Why hast thou. Forsaken me. I know. Does that make it. Easier. To understand. And that forsakenness. David lets us know here. Also comes now. In the form. Of being. Scorned. Or ignored, unwelcome, despised by others. This is the sense of verses 6 to 8. But I am a worm, not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads, saying, He trusts in Yahweh. Let Yahweh deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him. For Yahweh delights in Him. Well, You can barely make ends meet financially. You're hanging on. Where's your Jesus now? Or the terrible loss of a child. Or spouse. This is your God. Or depression seemingly unconnected and out of the blue. Unconnected to anything that you know of in life just overwhelms and overtakes you. And God seems silent. Or the constant beat down from people at work or in your family because of your faith in Jesus, your understanding and belief in a judgment day in heaven and hell, and there's only one Savior, or your belief that there are only two sexes, or that sex is non-sinful, only in the covenant. Of marriage between a man and a woman. And they ridicule you. Or you're ridiculed for not participating with them in many activities. That your faith will not allow you to join in with them. And all of that. They see at times. And they say. Where's your God? Has Christianity working for you? Verse eight clearly seems to be quoting the mockers. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him from this plight. Let him rescue him. For the Lord delights in him. (laughs) Implied, maybe God doesn't like you, David. Or Christian. And so that treatment, by the circumstances and by people in the world then, for David and for many, accentuates verses 1 and 2, the silence of God. So David so far has taken us on this journey through the silence of God and then to the confirmation of other human beings around us And then in verses 12 to 18, to the total domination of the enemy over him. He describes his suffering now in this next section with the metaphor of wild, ravenous beasts. In verses 12 and 13 and verse 16, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of bastion surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. For dogs, these are wild, not domesticated dogs, encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. This wild beast imagery implies that these men lack any constraints of humanity like the hamas murderers of last month in israel the ordeal david's going through it's just too much it's totally depleted him verse 14 i'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax. It's just melted within my breast. All the energy has gone out of him. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, a broken pottery piece. and My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. He's emaciated. I can count all. My bones. Then this line at the end of verse 16. They have pierced my hands and feet. Then verse 18 reinforces this extreme suffering by saying His enemies have stripped off all of His clothing. He's totally subjugated to them. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So, is this psalm about David? Or is it about Jesus? The answer is yes and yes. I think the best way to say it is this it's about David, but by the Holy Spirit, as a prophet, it goes beyond David. David was hunted and hated and tormented by King Saul, but pierced hands and feet, garments that were totally stripped off to him and divided up by dice rolling. Okay, in words, David is living the experience. And for David, what he writes poetically, this is Hebrew poetry, what he writes is a poetic metaphor to him. To God, it's a prophet. Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So first, it was very bad for David. Re- remember beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 18, he went through a living hell for a long time. But not as final and as total as Psalm 22 seems to let on. King Saul became jealous of David He was enraged at him and in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel we read, Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul knew Yahweh left him. And he knew Yahweh, God, was with David. And that made him all the more crazy to kill David. And so David was on the run, hiding in caves and holes in the ground for about four long years. And at any moment, Saul's men could find him and kill him. And so David... Knowing God, made a covenant with him to set one of his descendants on the throne forever. David as a prophet made predictions as a prophet. As the Holy Spirit within him, as Peter would put it. as, As he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter, in his very first sermon, Luke records for us in Acts 2, he said this after quoting another song or psalm from King David. Peter declared, Being therefore, referring to David, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ while composing a song. So somehow, the Holy Spirit has David feel the big picture of his throne throughout the ages. And with his poetic gift, the words come to him. And they just explode onto the page. David spoke out of his own suffering. And yet, he spoke beyond his suffering to the future suffering of the son of David, Jesus. It's how I think... That works. Let's go back now. Remember, I said each section is followed by an affirmation of trusting you and please for rescue. In other words, David models for us how, how all of us believers are to walk by faith in the midst of terrible circumstances. And each of these sections, as he goes to these affirmations of faith section, each of them in the Hebrew, they're all emphatic about Yahweh, about God, whether the pronoun, you know, you, you, or Yahweh, emphatic meaning, they're pushed up very front of his statements on purpose, which does show emphasis. First, in verses 3 to 5, he appeals to history, yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In You our fathers trusted. They trusted and You delivered them. To You they cried and were rescued. In You they trusted and were not put to shame. In other words, the flow there is, even though I feel forsaken. You proved to be the God who delivered my forefathers. They trusted in you and you delivered them. I'm trusting. Then, verses 9 11, he appeals to his own experiences of the past. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. In other words, coming out of that second section, oh, how I felt like a worm and a failure. But I know I'm a special kind of worm. Yet you are He who took me from the womb. You made me. Trust you at my mother's breast, You made me trust you at age 19. You did that! And then coming out of the third, the execution section, of verses twelve to eighteen, his prayer is desperate. Help! I need deliverance right now. Starting with verse nineteen, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. So, there we have it. A model. A model for believers. A. Model believers' experiences at times in a model of prayer. Now, anybody, you know, all these kinds of people would say something like, no, 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 Joe, no, no, it's Old Testament. God never allows Christians, Old Testament people like David, yes, but never would allow Christians to experience subjectively feeling God's forsakenness, those people just don't know their Bibles. And they just don't know honest Jesus loving people. And they don't read Christian biography. And this is why David Brainerd's diary that Jonathan Edwards published in the middle of the 1700s, right after Brainerd's death at age 29, why that diary went not just with a Bible, But the diary to missionary after missionary after missionary in the late 1700s and throughout the 1800s in God-forsaken areas of the world with no airplanes, as they read and say, you mean that great missionary felt this way at times too? God's come. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800's London, in his autobiography, he writes, I believe it is a shallow experience that makes people always confident of what they are and where they are. Because there are times terrible trouble that make even the most confident child of God hardly know whether he's on his head or on his heels. And so, here's my application. Christian, in your experience of ever feeling beat down, Forsaken by God. Know the truth. Know that you are never actually and finally forsaken by God's loving care. Precisely Because Jesus was forsaken in your place. He was beaten. He was bloodied and he was brought to that hill 300 yards outside the city gate of Jerusalem. Just picture that hill now. They get there and throw that wooden beam onto the ground and they force Jesus to the ground and they force the back of his torso onto that wooden beam and one of the soldiers comes up with, grabs one arm and kneels down. The other has a six-inch spike and a mallet and drives it right there through his wrist. And they go to the other arm as screams of pain pierce the air. And then the executioners pull Jesus up with that 70-pound piece of wood now tacked to his body. And they slowly back him up to the permanent eight-foot-tall wooden beam coming out of the ground. And with one of the soldiers behind it with a little ladder and the other two on each side, they lift it up and they let it drop into that groove on top of the vertical beam. And then they nail his feet to that beam. As verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, they have pierced my hands and feet. And as Jesus feels every nerve in his body screaming pain, we hear David's words in our psalm. I can count all my bones They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so Matthew's gospel tells us when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And as Jesus hung there, it was visible. Not just to all those, the ones who loved him and others who hated his guts there on the hill. But that scene as he's only a few feet off the ground was visible to thousands and thousands of people for those six hours as they are coming and going outside the city gate of Jerusalem. And the Gospels tell us, and those who passed by, derided Him, wagging their heads. The rulers scoffed at Him, saying, He saved others. Let Him save Himself, if He is the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. He trusts in God. Let God deliver Him now, if He desires Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. And all that taunting was an echo of Psalm 22, verses 6 to 8. A thousand years earlier, it was penned. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For the Lord delights in him. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in the midst, of your darkest hours of feeling forsaken the psalm teaches us follow it up trust in god like david did follow it up with 1st peter chapter 3 verse 18 for christ also suffered Once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Here it is. In order that He might bring us to God. So whether you're in the midst of a David experience, A C.S. Lewis experience. A David Brainerd or a Spurgeon experience. Ponder these closing words from the pen of J.C. Ryle, a Christian pastor in 19th century Liverpool, England. As I close. No doubt, There is a sense in which our Lord's feeling of being forsaken was peculiar to Himself since He was suffering for our sins and not for His own. But still, after making this allowance, there remains the great fact that Jesus was for a time forsaken of the Father. And yet, through all that, He was the Father's beloved Son. As it was with the great the church, so it may be in a modified sense with His members. They too, though chosen, and beloved of the Father, may sometimes feel God's face turned away from them. They too, sometimes from illness of body, and sometimes from peculiar affliction, sometimes from the carelessness of their own walk, sometimes from God's sovereign will to draw them nearer to Himself, they may be constrained to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let's pray. Father, I know that the words of this message, By, I know at least some of us have been experienced to one extent or another already. And we know that most likely this kind of an experience lay before us, one or two or three. But we know, as David, you're the faithful God who delivered. Your people, we would, David, say, I'm trusting. May we meet you in those times of sad, sovereign providence. In depths that are unimaginable any other way. To the glory of your name, for we trust this glorious gospel that because Christ was forsaken we are brought near in the midst of joy and in the midst of sorrow and pain to you, forgiven and free with unimaginable promises before us. Amen. Let us stand and continue to be A state of worship and admiration, longing for our Savior.